You're listening to Spoilers Alerts with Tom Capone, and this is episode 12 of the Oceanside High School Soccer Reunion with very special guest, Richie Woods. Richie, welcome. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate you having me today. Richie and I have been friends for almost 50 years. I cannot believe that I'm saying that, almost 50 years. Um, and I'm certain that we have stories that we could share that would form the basis of several episodes of Spoilers Alerts podcast, but perhaps another time, Rich. For now, having you as a guest of our Soccer Reunion podcast seems only fitting. Richie was a member of the Oceanside High School varsity soccer team his junior and senior years, played basketball for Coach Wright in junior high school, and was instrumental in Coach Wright's induction to the Circle of Pride, which honors Oceanside's athletes, coaches, and community members. Can I talk a little bit about your, your background? Sure. Okay. Richie retired last year from the Oceanside School District after a long and illustrious career as a science teacher, varsity basketball and baseball coach, and MC of the Circle of Pride, Induction Dinners. He's also a published author of two books, with a third one in the works. That's actually a question, Rich. Is there another one in the works? Well, first, thanks for saying all those nice things about me. I didn't know you were going to. But I have an idea for a third book um, within that same series of Arcadia books. And... Then they have a series known as Then and Now. So a few years back when I had the Oceanside History Club at the high school, we did many pictures of the now. Um, and so I have a collection of old photographs from Oceanside, and I think that would be the next book. I don't know when it's going to happen, but that would be um, what would be coming next. And an example of what would be in the Then and Now book um, on the corner of Foxhurst Road and Oceanside Road is um, an area which originally at the turn of the century was um, Lorenzo Davison's general store. And if you saw a picture of it, which I have, you would see um, women in really long dresses and that the window says we sell Quaker oats and feed and coal. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next business that was there in the middle of um, the 20th century was Catalano's service station. So it was a gas station and they uh, worked on your cars. And currently it's Island Auto Body. And so that would be an example of something that could be in the book, those three different pictures and a uh, little bit of story of all the, all three of the businesses. Well, I know that there'd be a lot of people who'd be interested in seeing that third book published um, based on the kind of reception you received of the publication of your two previous books, the first of which is Legendary Locals of Oceanside, and then the second, Images of Oceanside, or Images of America, Oceanside. And I think they both are representative of your connection, Richie, to the passion that you have for the Oceanside community and the resources that make Oceanside an incredible place for over 30,000 people that, we, that call this place home. Included in that number um, are amazing talents and gifted residents, including Art Heyman, Jay Fiedler, Bob Iger, and Artie Wright, to name a few. The list really goes on from there. I think Rob Iger is actually on the cover of Time Magazine, you know, within the last few weeks also. So that, that's a good example of someone from Oceanside who really made it big. So there, there are a number of people from Oceanside who have made it big, and, and that could form the basis, as I said before, of another podcast 
for today's podcast, the episode that uh, really is bringing us together is connected to the Oceanside High School Soccer Reunion, which is taking place in a couple of weeks. And this is episode 12 of that podcast. And I thought that you would be a perfect uh, guest to be a part of the podcasts that have taken place prior to this one. Um, But before we get into your recollections of Oceanside and of Coach Wright, um, one of the things that I've asked members of the podcast uh, episodes was to submit a a song, something that you felt was representative of, of your experience and something that connects you to the Oceanside community. So is there a particular song that you come up with, have come up with? Well, when we were in high school playing basketball, um, there were back-to-back championships in 1974 and 1975. And the song that we used to warm up to, the first song was One Way Out by the Allman Brothers. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't lose a game for those two years at home. So that has a special meaning. That's a connection to the high school for me. Actually, we wa- we warmed up to that song, and then right after that was Layla by Eric Clapton. So it always gave me a good feeling for years after to hear those songs, you know. Well, I, I cannot listen to those songs and not think about our days at the Oceanside High School, especially in the gym of the high school. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for sharing that uh, with us. So Richie, one of the things I want to do is to begin by quoting you. In your legendary locals, you wrote, the heart of Oceanside is its people. Its strength lies in its inhabitants. And Coach Wright was featured in Chapter 2, which focused on educational leaders. My feeling is, and maybe you can tell me if you agree or not, but Coach Wright is probably the only one profiled by you who could have appeared in other chapters as well, either sports legends, prominent citizens, and I I would even dare to say entertainers. Right. He was a big entertainer. Everybody who knew Coach Wright um, loved his sense of humor, and he infused that in his coaching and his his day-to-day teaching also. would you want me to talk a little bit about Coach right now? Well, you know what? You're reading my mind because my next question was going to be uh, to talk about the impact or influence Coach Wright had on you. You and I played soccer for Coach Wright two years, two seasons at Oceanside High School. But I, I know, um, having known you as long as I have, that he had an impact on you and he was an influence either on your career as an educator, as an athlete, a coach, and even as a member of the community. So... What, what can you share about Coach Wright and the impact he's had on you? Well, what I remember about all my three coaches in high school, Mr. Wright for soccer, Mr. McMullen, and Coach Skirbo for basketball and baseball is that they made you feel as if you were a professional um, and playing for a professional team. They always had us prepared and ready to go. And I, I was pretty much in awe of Coach Wright. I think that might be... Um, a given for kids who were in junior high with Coach Wright. Uh, He was an outstanding athlete in his own right in high school and then in Cortland College. He's also a member of Cortland College Athletic Hall of Fame. Um, But he was a character. uh, You know, he was definitely a coach that we all wanted to do well for. There was no question. We wanted to win for him is how I always felt. Um, and, no, and he was the kind of coach that I know loved me and I loved him. Um, he was a character 
in his office, he had the fedora hanging on the wall. He'd always be smoking a cigar, and uh, he had that nameplate on his door that said A. Right. And if you asked him what the A stood for, he would always say, always. <laughs> <laughs> he was bigger than life. Um, maybe what I hope I took from Coach Wright was his passion and his desire to succeed. Um, I didn't really use his humor that much as a, a coach, but I definitely used it a lot in the classroom. And probably some of his jokes I probably stole over the years and used them. Um, and I did admire what he did in our community. Um, but most, a lot of that was just based on knowledge because um, it was really, he was a real integral member of the community in the 50s and 60s. Um, he was part of the beginning of Oceanside Little League. He, at the f first, I guess, year of Little League, there were four teams, and he coached all four. And he also umpired every game. And what he said to me once, it used to go very well until I had an argument with myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, An argument uh, which he always won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he won most of them anyway. I mean, he, he continued, I know, in the baseball as an umpire because I remember him umpiring our games in the 1970s. Um, so, One of the things that I remember yeah. about Coach Wright, um, not just as a soccer player, but talk about him as a fixture in our community. There was a, a, um, a family-run restaurant called Pacetti's right. on Long Beach Road. It was there for... 35, 40 years? Was that maybe more? I think more. Yeah, from mm -hmm. the 50s, you know, it may, might be closer to 50 years with Pesetti's. But the thing about uh, Coach Wright is... It seemed this, like he was there every day. He was there every day. Whenever I, you went in there for your ice cream soda or to get some gum on the way from, to or from school, it seemed like he was always sitting there uh, mm -hmm. chatting it up with Mr. Pesetti and whoever else was in that place with the racing form maybe out checking out the horses that were going to be running that day and you know just overall sharing his philosophy with anybody who would listen um as i said to you this is our 12th episode of the oceanside high school soccer reunion podcast in each of the previous episodes those who uh, took part always had a, a coach Wright story or they remembered fondly about uh, something about coach Wright. but i don't know that any one of them has done a, an impersonation or can do an impersonation the way that you can. Is there a Coach Wright witticism or saying or something that he, you remember him saying in his voice that you could share? Well, I joke that Coach Wright used to think that my first name was Woods and my last name was You Jackass. Because <laughs> when I would play on the field in soccer, it would sound something like this. Woods, you jackass! Stop farting with the ball! And uh, as much as I, you know, that was, he, he, most of the time it was banana that came out of his mouth. You're a banana. Um, that was one of his favorite sayings, too. But um, I have so many stories about Mr. Wright. Um, and the thing with Mr. Wright, with his humor, he was, most of the time when he would tell a story to get a laugh, it would be on him something about the golf course and throwing the, the clubs up into the trees and not being able to finish because of that. And 
he always had a story about, you know, a lousy golf game, but it always made you laugh. But along with Pissetti's, uh, I can also remember a, a pat expression of his that mostly during ninth grade basketball, um, he would, if, if someone ever said anything outrageous to him or made some great claim, he'd always have his pat answer. So if I said, you know what, coach, I'm going to score 40 points today. He would say, Woodsy, you score 40 points today, and I'll kiss your ass in Pacetti's window <laughs> at noon on Saturday. <laughs> that was one of his favorite lines. He was also known for his paddle, and it was the days when... I remember it well. <laughs> <laughs> there, isn't a, there isn't a young man, or well, I guess we're old men now, but, a, but a, a boy who went through Oceanside Junior High School that doesn't remember that paddle. It wasn't always him. Sometimes it would be Coach Malamo. Um, Coach, Coach White. Coach White. I don't think White was a hitter, though. Uh, I can't remember him. He probably did, but I remember DeBellis. I guess. I remember DeBellis because he was a racket player. He was a tennis player and a racquetball player. So what he could do with a flick of a wrist really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but Wright was... Uh, he had the paddle on the wall of his office, and it was a ritual. Um, you know, if you did something wrong in phys ed class, it would sound like this. Woods, get the paddle. And you had to <laughs> take a walk to his office. With everybody else watching. Oh, yeah. It got quiet. It usually got quiet around that time. Take the paddle off the wall, carry it back like you were carrying your cross, and hand it to him. And then you'd hear, bend over. <laughs> and uh, there were times when he would ask you a question. And he would say, if you could answer this question right, I won't hit you. And you, and you had to answer it, because if you didn't answer it, you knew you were going to get hit harder. But you also knew you couldn't get it right. So he would say, all right, Woods, if you can tell me the population of Walla Walla, Washington, <laughs> <laughs> I won't hit you. So I'd say something like 30,000. And he would go so close, 30,001, and then bam, you get hit. <laughs> you know, There was one time, we were supposed to sit up straight in our squads um, in junior high. It was, a, it was a different time in that we had to wear uniforms. Remember, we would buy them at Chawatsky's and we'd have to have our name on it. Every kid had a bar of soap in his locker. We had to do that. And um, we were given time after class, actually, the shower before we went back to class. It was a real different time uh, to go to phys ed class. But we had to sit up straight in our squads during attendance. And one time, I wasn't. But I was not really paying attention. I was just daydreaming like a, a junior high boy would. And I'm leaning, I'm kind of laying down on my left side with my elbow on the ground and my hand cupping my ear. And, you know, everybody's just making noise and there's this din of sound in the gym. And through that sound, I'm, I'm hearing this voice in the background saying, get up here, Cleopatra. <laughs> and then I'm not thinking about it. And get up here, Cleopatra. And all of a sudden, I look down at how I'm sitting. I go, oh, my God, I'm Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> and I got hit for not sitting up straight, for sitting like Cleopatra, you know. Richie, um, you and I 
met, I think, on the basketball courts in the Merle Avenue gym all those years ago, yeah. playing for Coach Wright. Right. And um, you, you had, one thing I would say as an aside, you had the most pure shot of any <laughs> basketball player I ever played with. It just, it just came natural to you. But um, that's where we met. And mm. one of the things, I have a very vivid memory of Coach Wright and you. There was an exchange that took place between you and he that didn't end well for you. You and, and it wasn't just a paddle. And, and, and we share these stories yeah. in, a, in a loving way of Coach Wright. Yeah, there's, there's no question this guy loved me, and there was no question I loved him, and that I wanted to play well for him and win for him. And he was like a father figure, but fathers in those days, like my dad, he was for corporal punishment in school. He felt it was proper, you know? So, yeah, um, he got upset with me one day, um, because, and this is, again, this is generational, I guess, because I had dribbled and didn't shoot because I kind of got stuck and dribbled back out away from the basket, and I kind of giggled. And you don't, well, that was, that was my first mistake, giggling, because Mr. Wright said to me, what's so funny, if you, wanna, if you don't want to play, you can sit down. And I made the horrendous mistake <laughs> that a kid could make in 1972, and I it was that I said something back, but it wasn't I, meant disrespectfully. No, no, what I said was I do want to play, but that was enough. And then, uh, so you sat down. I sat in a, down in a metal folding chair <laughs> off to the side. Yeah, and then uh, well, first came the basketballs, you know, at me, and then uh, well, the, the way I remember it, weren't you sitting? In yeah. the chair. And the basketballs came at me. And then laser beam accuracy, no? <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah. I kicked the basketballs away, but that made him more upset with me. But um we you know, it was it wasn't it was just the way things were. I never I don't know, I you know, it was just the way we grew up in those days and uh you know, there was no it was no question he cared about me, never, you know. Mm -hmm. Um he would be when I remember we saw him together once, and uh, he invited us over to swim in his pool, you know, like, uh, you know, after we had graduated high school. He was that kind of guy. He was a father figure, you know. What, like, in those days, um, teachers and coaches, um, they really weren't your friend, you know. They were your fathers and mothers, you know, and that's, it was a little bit different in those days. I, I guess I consider myself lucky that I had a perspective of coach, right, that maybe guys that we played with didn't have, and that my brother played on the team that eventually went on to win the Long Island Championship in 68. And I was 11 years old at the time. Yeah. And I remember standing on the sideline of the games at Oceanside High School. And then when they went through the playoffs, going to those games and idolizing the players on the team, but also not being able to wait to be <laughs> a player on, right. on Coach Wright's soccer team, to play right. for Coach Wright. Well, soccer was everything in Oceanside in those days. And late 60s, early 70s, Oceanside was a two-sport, I felt, like championship uh, caliber team. Uh, one was track and one was soccer. I mean, baseball, they won probably every other year. They won the divisions too, but with uh, track and soccer, like phenomenal. Track won about 150 dual meets in a row. And then soccer won probably, I don't know, five county championships in mm -hmm. a row, including some Long Island championships in there. So... When you went through that, when Mr. Wright saw me, I, I actually went to football uh, my first day. Uh, and I remember Mr. Sheen out there, you know, putting the 
shoulder pads on because football, you know, that's in the American sport, you know, mm -hmm. you did football. And I remember, you know, Mr. Wright grabbed me and he said, no, you're going to play soccer here. And you know what? That was an invitation that I couldn't turn down. Like, you know, it was like getting an offer you couldn't refuse, you know, um, because of his uh, legend and, and the success that soccer was in Oceanside. You know, you felt like I had never played soccer before in seventh grade. And he said, come on out for soccer, you know, and there, there was brand something new to me. about him that you just wanted to, oh, uh, yeah. to please him to, uh, right. to meet whatever expectations he had for you. Mm -hmm. You wanted to meet them and you would do anything you could to meet those expectations. Um, wh when you played for coach, Wright, Is there, I know that you talked about that motivation and, and wanting to naturally just, you know, please him. W were there any other aspects of his coaching style? Uh, in soccer that helped us to be as successful as we were when playing for him? Um, with his coaching style, he always infused. I mean, he first of all, it's tough to ever say that you can take something from a, a person who's that legendary. It's like saying, Richie, what did you take away from, you know, watching John Wooden in the 60s? And like, mm -hmm. You know, there's John Wooden and then there's Richie Woods. It's like, you know, the Pope and Vinnie Bumbats, you know, <laughs> you compare those two people, they're not close. And that's kind of the same thing with Mr. Wright. Um, one of the great things about him is his knack for doing the right thing at a certain time, um, putting the right player in, getting a feel for the game. Always I, right. Always right. Always right. <laughs> and I don't think that could be taught. And I don't think, I don't really don't think I had that, you know, that's kind of a, a great instinct that he had. I mean, I did obviously get his, you know, work ethic and desire and passion and those kind of things. I mean, as well as his drills and things like that when I was doing, uh, coaching the freshman soccer team for those 10 years. You know what, this is a perfect time for me to just interject here. You, you brought it up and it's a, a good segue for me. I wasn't going to share this, but talking about Coach Wright's ability to press the right buttons and make the right... <laughs> I think uh, I know well, where you're going, and I, so, I wasn't going to bring it up either, but I think it does fit in right now. Is it so, the East Meadow game? The East Meadow game where I didn't play much right. at all, the entire game. Right. You, you want to tell the story? Yeah. Um, East Meadow was, when we were seniors, um, no, this was, a, this was junior, junior year. year. This was junior year. At East Meadow. We hadn't lost, an, Oceanside hadn't lost a soccer game in about 28 games, you know, between 73, so whatever. And then we had to play East Meadow at, at home. And they made us wait. And we, nev we never really knew if it was on purpose or not. It was over an hour and a half after game time. And I just remember we were sitting around, you know, what can we do? You know, half, you know, relaxing and then trying to stay limber. But um, they wound up beating us. And they were the first. And it was... To them, like beating Oceanside. If you beat Oceanside in those days, it was like beating a national, you know, champ. It was like Elgin Baylor beating, uh, you know, mm -hmm. UCLA. Um, but we played them again, and the score was one-one at their place, and I was playing on the line, and I had played the whole game in the front line. I was pretty fast in those days. I really did not have the great soccer skills, but I guess I was pretty fast, and, and Mr. Wright, you know, had confidence in me. There was one minute left in the game, 
and this guy comes running on the field to substitute for me. Who could that guy be? And his name was Tom Capone. And I looked at him, and I'm thinking, like, what? Wait, yeah. wait, wait, what do you mean what? <laughs> no, because not because it was Tom, and Tom was a good soccer player, but it was because like there was only one minute left, and we were charging, like we were pounding the goal, pounding the goal, pounding the goal, and like you, you felt like we're gonna score, we're gonna score, you know, we're gonna make this a two-one win, and then so I came out with a minute left in the game, and sure enough, Tom, he kicked the ball. <laughs> <laughs> And it, if it managed, that's how you want to describe it, <laughs> um, it went through the goalie's legs into the goal, and we went crazy, you know, because we had beaten them, and it was a it was a justice story. And the next day's headline in the Long Island Press, it was that newspaper. It said Capone's spoiler, and uh, from then on. Tom became the spoiler. That was his nickname, and that's the name he lends to these podcasts now. And, and I wound up playing and starting every And then, every then game after and... that, I moved back to halfback, and Tom took my spot on the line. I played halfback, Tom played the line, and Tom scored in the next eight straight games. He had a goal in each of, at least one goal in each of those eight games. So I really wasn't going to bring that story up. I appreciate <laughs> I wasn't either, but it, was, it kind of fit in with what we were talking about. So we illustrated the point that Coach Wright made those decisions yeah and it seemed to work out he was he great the at right that. he was great at that at the right time he kind of knew like and i did you know it's funny because i was thinking about a lot of things to say today but you know some these things are just popping in my head he had an ability too of disciplining players too in a way that would when they got back that you'd get more you get a lot out of them you know after you discipline and he did that and i watched him do that with certain players and then that's something I took from him. Like when you discipline a player, you can't lose that player. You got you to somehow discipline them, but at the same time, when the, you know, figure out a way to bring them back up when they come back on, you, on the field. I, I, I think that speaks to his understanding of human nature, mm -hmm. how, how to get along with people and how to uh, find a way to, to motivate them and to get the most from them. He, he had that gift. He did. He did. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're talking about Coach Wright because he really uh, is at the focal point of, of these podcasts that we've been bringing to everybody over the last couple of months. Um, but let's just segue a little bit, if we can, um, to your, um, your place in Oceanside in the community and being an author that has brought uh, a lot to uh, members of our uh, Oceanside community through the, the books that you've written. Um, through the interviews, you've interviewed hundreds of people for your books probably yeah is there um some person one person uh, we've talked about already right but is there somebody who uh, moves to the forefront in terms of uh, a story that really has stayed with you beyond the book and beyond the meeting with them well um the pr there were a lot of people i liked meeting first of all it was kind of fun because you know, I did meet a few celebrities. I, I uh, you know, I talked to Bob Iger. Let me just tell you about a few of them first, then I'll tell you about one I, I really felt good about meeting. Um, but Iger, when I spoke to him, he's, he's, his, he said, I'm Bob Iger from Oceanside. He said as much, and like I said at the earlier part of this podcast, that he is on, I think he's on the cover of Time Magazine, 
recently. I mean, but he still considers himself Bob Iger from Oceanside. He remembers seeing the opening of Nathan's, like when he when it first opened, when he was in elementary school at school eight. Um, I spoke to him during Hurricane Sandy, and he helped with some finances in Oceanside and and the rebuilding of the playground at School Eight too. Um, so, meeting people who are famous or talking to people who are famous, and then, you know, um, hearing them say that how, what Oceanside meant to them, you know, kind of fueled me and kept me going and and made me feel good about writing the book. Uh, David Paymer was another person, and he, again, he has all these fond memories of Oceanside, uh, Barry Kaplan, his teacher, his drama teacher, and, in, you know, just to, like Bob Iger says, I'm, I'm Bob Iger from Oceanside, um, and his dad was um, on the school board, and his mom was very active in the community, too, and community theater they both were in, but with Paymer, um, his email, which I forget now, I think I have it somewhere, the numbers on his email address are the, his address in Oceanside, you know, and this mm-hmm. is a guy who was nominated for an Academy Award, you know, this is, this is a guy who's the character actor of our lifetime. So listening to these people say these things and, um, you know, and, and there, was, there were many of these people that had fond memories and they were, they were kind of glad that I was bringing these recollections back with them, with them. Um, you know, I would think that they're doing me a service, but you know, from talking to them, you could hear it in their voices that they really enjoyed growing up in Oceanside. When you were going through this process of, of doing the research and interviewing for your book, I, I always, uh, what resonated with me was the fact that they were available and accessible to you. They, they, that's my interpretation. Yeah. Is that accurate or that they well, made themselves available or not? Yeah, they did. Um, they, they were good about it. I don't think, I can't think of someone who I had a hard time reaching. Um, once, however I got through, I would get through, you know, once I would either get to their secretary or whomever, um, yeah, they would talk to me, you know. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I also remember talking to David Paper on the phone and I'm trying to get a picture from him. And, you know, it, it's funny, he's yelling Honey, what, can you get me that picture? You know, the one that I like. And and then he's laughing. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, Richie. This is what it sounds like in a movie star's home. You know, <laughs> just regular people. Um, what, the person that I really enjoyed speaking to, um, from from a historical perspective in general, um, was a guy named Joe McDonald. And I took a drive out to Suffolk County, and. Uh, Joe McDonald was a 1961 graduate from Oceanside High School, and he was a freedom rider. Um, He rode the buses with another Oceanside friend of his named Ken Shillman, and they rode the buses, the Greyhound buses, as a protest. You know, during those years, during the years of segregation, they would sit in the back of the Greyhound buses and um, African-Americans sitting in the front. And then when they got to the depots, they would sit in the section for African-Americans, which then was called the colored section, and the whites would sit there, and the African-Americans would sit in the sections that said white only. And listening to those stories about, you know, people 
who changed America. Like he was part of that. Um, he was arrested. He told me stories about his incarceration. But, you know, his, I remember his mugshot. He's got this little, you know what, eaten grin on. And uh, he wanted to be arrested. Like they wanted to make a difference in that way. They, they you know, they made sure they got arrested. They make sure. How did that, he wind up being in that position at that time to make the decision to be a part of, of history? You know, I'm, I hate to say this. I wasn't ready to talk about this exactly, mm-hmm. but he had a teacher. And I, I'm sorry that I can't remember his name. But it was a social studies teacher who really had, from Oceanside, who really, really had a strong influence on him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and from that passion, he wanted to turn it into activism. So, you know, that's how he got engaged in doing that. And there were people that were up in Oceanside, too, that were um, helping pay his bail, you know, and, and Shillman's bail. They actually, you know, had the FBI uh, spying on them. Uh, when they came back to Oceanside, uh, so much so that one, I think it was Joe's grandmother that had the FBI, you know, knock on her door and, and want information about, you know, this radical Joe McDonald. And the, you know, she made a, I think she made them dinner, <laughs> but, uh, so Joe so came back to Oceanside. he lived in Oceanside? He, never, he didn't, he, he came back, uh, at first. And then lived in Oceanside, but then you know after eventually he moved back. Uh, he moved out to Suffolk County, and I, I know that you can edit this out later. But a weird situation happened there. I was uh, talking to him, and it was he and his wife. And then I he would he left for a little bit, and I started talking to his wife. And to make a long story short, it turns out his wife. Um, was the daughter of my mailman growing up. <laughs> and the way we got it, and then she started saying, wait a second, like she said, my, fa- my father was a mailman, uh, his name was Tony, and I said, and you know, that led us to realize that that was my mailman, and then she goes, and I told him, you know, where I, she told her where I lived, and she said, wait, your family was the one that laced him with alcohol every time he was <laughs> on Christmas when he, when he was stopping by, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> that's, that's well, that's a true story, though. <laughs> that's yeah. a great story. Yeah. But you know what? Talking about that leads me to this question about um, those who do come back to Oceanside for however, however long. You and I are just two of many, many examples of uh, people who went through Oceanside, high school, lived in the community, then went away to college, and then came back and have now made the Oceanside community their home for all these years after the fact what do you think it is that, that brings people back to Oceanside? What is it about this community that keeps people like you and me in this community, this wonderful community? Well, I think we had a, a pretty good childhood. Um, I think that we grew up in a neighborhood where the adults really cared. We had base, basically good parents, you know, active in the community. We had caring teachers, caring coaches. Um, and I think that rubbed off on us. I mean, besides the fact that we're a train ride from Manhattan and that we're a, a bus ride or a, a bike ride to the beach, too, it's a, a good community in that respect. But I think, you know, we, we really enjoyed growing up here, and I think people really cared. Like, you know, you think back to our Little League coaches, you know, spending all that time with us, our stallion football coaches, um, the religious leaders in our town, the volunteer firefighters in our town, all the business people in our town, they're just good people, and uh, 
I think they took good care of us, and I, I think it created a good community, all those facets together. I remember uh, as a teacher, I would always tell my kids, and they would know this, that I lived in Oceanside, I grew up in Oceanside, I went through the school system, and now I'm teaching and living in an Oceanside, and they would say, Mr. Capone, didn't you want to go out and see the world? <laughs> and I would say, you know what, I did see the world, yeah. but I came back, and I think that that was a, uh, you know, an important message to impart to them. Yeah about our community. Um, Rich, just uh, let's switch gears just a little bit. I know that you're very involved in the uh, Circle of Pride and, and the Oceanside Hall of Fame. And just th that event is going to be coming up. Um, just talk a little bit about that because I think that there is a parallel to what you've been doing in your role uh, as part of the Circle of Pride and perhaps what we're doing with these podcasts. Do you see a similarity in, in terms of its connection to the community? Well, the Circle of Pride, um, first, the Circle of Pride is a group of athletes, coaches, and community members who are put into a certain section of the Oceanside High School Athletic Hall of Fame. And for athletes, it's done based on what you've done beyond high school. Um, credit where credit is due, Sean Keenan and Tony Chiazza thought of this idea up. Um, and, you know, the first year was incredible with the names that would be inducted. You know, Art Heyman, number one draft pick of the Knicks. Dennis Leonard won 150 games for the Kansas City Royals, and including an All-Star game and a World Series game. Uh, Jay Fiedler, NFL quarterback, I guess for about 10 years. Ron Atanasio, professional soccer player. So... Those are some of the names of the people that had great careers um, beyond high school. And this year, you know, we, we have some great people going in again, and it's going to be November 13th at the Knights of Columbus. And if anybody would want to go, you know, they can contact Ken Dwyer, who's running the dinner now. Um, I had run it for the last few years. I'm, I'm tangentially still involved in it now. I'm going to emcee the dinner, and I'm, I am helping Ken out a little bit but uh, he's taken over the reins. Um, and it does connect with history then because, you know, we're, we're honoring people who historically, you know, made a big difference in Oceanside uh, athletically. And it does fit in with these podcasts. Well, the podcast you would hope, um, whereas the Circle of Pride dinner, you have plaques and memories, the podcast like the series that you do now, you'd hope that it, it lasts and that could be heard by people for a real long time and maybe placed in the library or, you know, kept in some uh, depository or repository in Oceanside. What I know is very gratifying for you. Uh, it's gratifying for me as well doing the podcast and that through the Circle of Pride, you're bringing members of the community back together again after perhaps what has been a, a significant amount of time where they have not been in touch with each other. Right. And what's happening with these podcasts, we are literally connecting people from all over the country right. who haven't yep. been in touch with each other over the last 50 years, you and know, they're reconnecting now, right. and that is so satisfying. It is, and in both cases, as you say, it stems from the fact that there was a lot of you know, success originally, and that success, you know, and you can attribute that maybe to Artie Wright and, and the players themselves and that success that they had is a reason for coming back together. 
as the circle of pride, the success that those individual athletes have, give us all a reason to, to meet each other in a celebration. And that is the best part of probably these podcasts. And it is, in my opinion, the best part of the circle of pride dinner. I wish that, you know, we could probably do three hours of a cocktail hour where mm -hmm. people can just reconnect and, and tell old stories and, and laugh together if they haven't seen each other in a while. So one of the things that I will say uh, on the coattails of what you just shared, I think that's one of the things that, that are um, an important, powerful aspect of the podcasts. People can contribute. They can hear this. And if they can't be a part of a cocktail hour or two or three that you just described, I think having a, an opportunity to hear these podcasts and be able to contribute a comment or a question allows the podcast to become like a, an ongoing conversation right. moving forward. So I, I think it's done that to some extent. And I think that as more and more people hear about these episodes, I think more will be drawn to them and, and hopefully trigger, trigger uh, thoughts about our community and about their experiences as uh, members of Oceanside. Right. It's more, it's fluid. It, it's in, in effect, it's, it's not when it's finished, the actual podcast, it's not finished. You know, it's there to be heard again. It's there for people to participate in again. And in that respect, it, you know, it's not a one shot deal. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, um, this is something hopefully others will hear and, and maybe, uh, we, we will have triggered something that they'll want to contribute moving forward. So Richie Woods. Yes. Your first podcast. Yes. What did you think? I I enjoyed it. I think I could talk forever. You know, <laughs> I have that. I have that. I guess I, I did kiss the Blarney Stone in <laughs> 1971, I think. I think I could just go on forever. But also I go on forever because it's easy. Um, I love these memories of, of growing up in Oceanside. And, you know, I love the I love my job as a teacher, you know, all these years. And mm -hmm. it's easy to talk about these kind of things. Well, that definitely came through. And <laughs> I've enjoyed having you as, as a guest. And, um, well, thanks for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. And I, and this is a great thing that you're doing. Wow. Well, thanks for being a part of this. And we look forward to the Oceanside High School soccer reunion taking place in a couple of weeks, November 17th. Right. And the night before, if they want to stop by at Monahan's, they're going to have, uh, cocktails at Monahan's the night before and the next day of a more formal dinner. Should be a fun weekend. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, Richie. Thanks a lot. My pleasure, Tom. All right. All right, thank you. I coached for what, 27 years? I didn't win the sportsmanship award once. <laughs> Neither did I. Neither. I we scored 99 goals. Right. We only had four goals scored against yes. us in 18 games. Right. 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 And I used to just sit on the bench like this. Mm. You know, it was one nothing. Two nothing, three nothing, four nothing. <laughs> yeah. Good call, Ralph. You know? I said, this is my year. My wife died. This is my year. I'm going to win this portrait. <laughs> so, I meet up with a couple of officials. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was a good year to screw you. <laughs> and I laughed. But I just thanks a lot.